1: I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And I am delighted today to welcome my guest, Mr. Bill Wilson. He is a consumer marketing expert with over 40 years of domestic and international experience. He has worked with huge multinational marketing companies, including BBDO International. His clients have included Colgate and Ford, but today we're going to talk about his mission, which is promoting Birds and Beans Coffee. He is actually in partnership. He's a co-founder and president of Birds and Beans Coffee, LLC. It is the only coffee brand in the United States that solely roasts Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center bird-friendly certified beans, and we're going to find out what that means. So, Mr. Wilson, welcome.
0: Thank you very much. Glad to be here today. Thank you for the very lovely introduction, a little bit flattering. Thank you.
1: Well, it's important that we have a wide variety of guests with multiple backgrounds, and I love that you're taking your really solid marketing experience and putting it towards selling something that's truly important, I think, for the earth. And I don't know how you got started or how you went from pretty high-powered marketing work and communications work to focusing now on birds and beans coffee. So why don't you tell me how you made that switch?
0: Sure. Well, I think it was a very natural evolution. First of all, I was lucky enough to be outdoors a lot when I was young, a boy, and I just always loved the outdoors, and I loved nature, and I loved the birds, and I was also lucky enough when I was... Married just a short time after my wife and I were married to live in Italy for two years. So I learned to love coffee and got a lot more familiar with really good food in Italy. So, you know, I had this idea of where food comes from and what the outdoors is like from those two fundamental experiences. One as a child growing up and one as a young man. And as I began to expand my personal horizons, I thought well, there must be more to life than selling consumer packaged goods. Why not do something really more interesting and more worthwhile than that? Not that my experiences were bad because a lot of it wasn't worthwhile. And so we got involved in the coffee business.
1: In preparing for this interview, I went to several websites. I looked to see how much coffee are Americans drinking today? You know, How much impact is it going to make to switch from one brand to another? So I started out with the Audubon Society because I wanted to know well how many Americans are watching birds? And it according to the Audubon Society, forty six point seven million Americans call themselves bird watchers. And then I looked to see how does that compare with coffee consumption? And I saw that there are some varied statistics, but anywhere between fifty to eighty-three percent of Americans drink coffee regularly anywhere from 2 to 3 cups a day which equals out to about 587 million cups so if we're thinking about a food or beverage that can really have an impact in our environment let's talk about coffee and there are so many labels i know i deal with this as a dietitian you know helping consumers make choices based on all these multiple certifications and it becomes quite a jumbled market out there, I think sometimes by design. So we're looking for coffee, and I always look for certified organic, and I know shade grown is important. We're going to talk about that. But certified organic and fairly trade, those are the two labels that I find most easy to find in my market. Shade grown, not so much.
0: Yes, uh, that's right, Linda. I think the Even when we were first getting started, I mistakenly assumed that any coffee that was USDA organic certified could also qualify it to be bird friendly. And I I really do respect the USDA organic certification generally and in coffee particularly. But there's a very particular aspect of shade coffee that the people down at the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center understood going back almost two and a half decades now. And that's really what I discovered in the sense of I discovered how different this was than most coffee most of us drink. And I was looking at, I was doing a project really for one of the largest organic supermarkets in the country on what consumers look for in food safety. And I came across this bird-friendly certification and I really had never seen it. And that really surprised me because I was very much involved in bird conservation, and I was very much involved in quality of food, and so I did some exploration and got together with a fellow named Scott Wiedensahl, a friend of mine who was a great author, wrote a wonderful book called Living on the Wind, about Bird Migration, and we discovered that nobody knew about this certification, and nobody really, nobody meaning the the general public, the consuming public, but anybody really, most people outside of a few, few limited areas of expertise, Nobody really understood where coffee comes from and that the kind of coffee we drink can make a major, major difference, not just for birds, by the way, but for the whole solidarity of the earth. This is great for family farmers. It's great for rural employment. It's great for children that live around these farms and on these farms, and it tastes very good, too, which is the great part for me. And it just provides this habitat for birds migrating and, and indigenous, for everything from jaguars to miniature toads, orchids, plants, flowers, flowering trees. And the story is actually very easy to understand once you take a look at it, although it's a little lengthy. But uh, we can we can get into that a little bit if you like.
1: Well, I'd like to, only because I think that we tend to look at just within our cup or on our plates, hence the tagline for this show, you know, helping us think beyond that cup of coffee. And maybe we're concerned, I think, as Americans, it's sort of our nature. We're a very me-based society. And I want to help people stretch a little bit and think, well, you know, it's not just about me. It's also about how our food purchases are going to impact the environment, our water, future generations, you know, what does sustainability really mean in the coffee industry? And so in reading about coffee growing conditions, there seem to be some differences of opinion, you know, does fair trade matter or not? And I noticed that your coffee is looking at co-op farmers, small family farmers, keeping them on the land. So you're also looking at social justice as well as environmental welfare, which I love. So let's just talk a little bit, let's start at the ground level and say, why does shade matter? And if shade is the preferable method of production, how did we go from shade to sun coffee or industrial coffee?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's the story of modern agriculture, and it applies to lots and lots of uh crops. But the reason coffee is so important is as you outlined, it's such a high volume product. It takes up a lot of land, it creates a lot of commerce from the equator to the rest of the world. And it's a good margin product for farmers and processors. It's a commodity product that can make money, which isn't isn't always easy to do. So just start at the beginning, coffee was like so many things, a wild plant. And once the Europeans, the Western Europeans discovered coffee, it became uh, exported around the globe from Africa, from East Africa. And when the New World was discovered, uh, there's a little bit of argument over this, some Dutchmen or some Frenchmen put some coffee trees in, in the understory in tropical forests, and it thrived in these Latin American forests. So for centuries, literally, coffee was grown in what was almost a forest. And that's a great way to grow coffee because coffee does not fix nitrates. So coffee needs to be in a symbiotic relationship with other plants and trees, or it needs to be fed chemicals to grow. So if we look back up until about 50 years ago, this was all sort of good. And when you get coffee in what's almost a forest, you get three tiers of vegetation. You get... First-growth trees, tall trees, big trees, forest trees. You get second-tier trees, and then you get shrubs, of which coffee is one. And this does a lot of things. First of all, it creates a very rich ecosystem. Secondly, it keeps the tropical rains, it makes them fall on the earth in a way that doesn't wash away soil. So you don't get flooding, you don't get soil runoff. And the third thing it does in terms of what we're interested in, we at Birds and Beans are interested in coffee, is it creates a wonderful environment to grow really great tasting coffee. So this went on for, you know, as I said, a couple hundred years. And some people, you know, the country of Costa Rica, for example, which is held up as a good example of a Latin American country, was basically founded on coffee. And again, over the years, a lot of these holdings became small holdings because small farmers, stewards of the land, but actually survive with some coffee or just coffee on their farm.
1: But what about yield? When you've got a forest situation versus sun coffee where the vegetation has been removed and farmers are applying chemical fertilizers or synthetic fertilizers, what happens to the yield?
0: Certainly the yield per acre on chemical sun coffee is higher than the yield per acre on certified bird-friendly coffee, true shade coffee. But nobody really knows a real scientific answer to that question. It's something I started to try to find the answer to a few years back, and I still haven't been able to find it. But to me, it's just like corn or soy or wheat. You know, modern giant agra knows how to grow things at scale with chemicals, and that's what's happening with coffee. And 50 years ago, all coffee practically was organic and shade-grown, and now... Probably about 40% is, and a lot of that doesn't even come to market in a big way. All of the major brands are buying in a lot of sun-grown coffee.
1: Yeah. And getting back to that whole yield issue, I think it's important for all of us as eaters and drinkers of coffee, tea, whatever, to think less of yield or less of quantity and more of quality as well as taking into account the full-cost accounting picture. So maybe you get more coffee beans if you've got this sun coffee where you're having a lot of expensive inputs. But I don't think we look at a full ledger sheet that takes into account what is the cost of losing birds, what is the cost of having dirty water or sick farmers. So I think that helping us rethink what the important results are from the way we produce our food and beverages is very important. So let's get back to the coffee bushes now. Why is it so important for birds to have this forested system? I mean, certainly they could find shade with the coffee bushes, right?
0: Not enough, because what happens in a multi-tiered, what they call rustic canopy, like a forest, is you get all the things that all of the critters in the cycle of life need. You get bugs, you get worms, you get flowers with nectar, you get little birds for big birds and snakes to eat, you get snakes that eat little birds for, for bigger birds and uh, ground predators to eat, you get ground predators to uh, fertilize the soil after they eat birds' nests. So you've have we got this wonderful natural cycle of life that we have not enough regard for. And with a coffee farm, with a real good rustic coffee farm, a bird-friendly certified coffee farm, it's very, very inspirational because it's a family that can make money on the land that employs local people that do good, good work at good pay, and that means that their children can get inoculations and school books and Choose to go to school in and, you know, we're talking about very poor countries, a lot of the coffee countries. But in, in this whole process, what I've really learned is that if we take care of the earth, we can take care of people and we can get good food out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the big problem we have here in the United States is we're absolutely consumed with price or prestige. So just to use an example, we want coffee at a pound, $3 a pound at the store. Well, you can't get coffee at $3 a pound or $5 a pound at the store and have the farmer make any money and have it be good for the earth and have it, frankly, be any good in terms of taste. So if our coffee, if you buy it online and you buy four pounds, it costs about $13 a pound. A pound of coffee makes about 40 cups of coffee. So, you know, (laughs) you're talking pennies more a cup Something that tastes better and is really, really good for everybody in the chain. And then when you get to the big chains, we get to one of the things that we're really upset by is the single serve plastic disposable coffee system.
1: Oh, yes.
0: Okay, now last year in this country, over 9 billion of these plastic things were put into the environment, and they're non compostable, and they're non disposable, and they're non recyclable. So that's landfill. It's nine or ten billion dollars of cups that are landfill. And there's not much coffee that goes into it. Not much of the coffee that goes into it is organic or fair trade. None of it's bird friendly. And the farmers aren't getting a lot of money. The, the publicly listed leaders in corner cafes or in the single serve cups, you know, are very proud of the fact that they were able to get their coffee for less money this year than last year. Mm. Because the world market for coffee dropped. So we're probably paying our farmers Forty or fifty percent more for their coffee than these big buyers are paying, and so what happens is farmers can't stay on the land. You've got to have big, big farms, you know, run in uh, in giant agri terms to make those kinds of dollars per pound. So I think the, the equation really doesn't take in, as you alluded to, the, the the equation doesn't take in with the real cost of anything.
1: Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are speaking with Mr. Bill Wilson. He is the co-founder and president of Birds and Beans Coffee LLC. Well, I'd like to get back to that whole idea of cost, and being that you have this incredible marketing experience, how do we sell this product to consumers when we seem to have misguided values? For whatever reason, we're not thinking in a broader scale. I hate to blame consumers because I think that we're largely uninformed. So education is certainly key. But as a marketer, how do you sell this product that costs more?
0: Yeah, we sell this product on a fact basis because it's a genuine brand. And I think that it's taking a long time to get the word out because it's it's a little bit of a complicated story. We live in an age of information overload and we live in an age of over promise and under deliver. So most people are really it's difficult to get them to pay attention for very long. And we don't have a story, they say in advertising, you know, what's the elevator story or what's the strap
1: line. Right.
0: We don't have a story that's that simple because it's not that simple. And I've been through this Now, for almost 10 years, how do we get this story simplified? And the answer keeps coming back, well, it's just not a simple story. So how do we get the word out there? We try to do it with as much authenticity as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a group of people that talk about bird conservation and feather in or feature bird-friendly coffee, and that those personal presentations to 20, 30, 50, 100, 150 people make a big difference. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of face-to-face marketing. Mm-hmm. We use a thing called constant contact with our existing customers to keep them up to date and give them rewards from time to time, and that, I think, works really well. well we advertise a little bit in places like Bird Watchers Digest, and we work with uh, with conservation groups like the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, American Bird Conservancy, Hawk Mountain Sanctuary down in Pennsylvania, and uh, Vermont Center for Echo Studies in North Branch, uh, Nature Center up in Vermont, as part of their program to, you know, what they sell in their shops or what they talk to their to their constituents about. And the beauty of this certification that Smithsonian people come up with is it's so genuine and it's so platinum. That if you buy coffee with this certification on the bag, you know you're really getting good coffee, you know you're conserving birds, you know you're saving forest-like habitat in the part of the world where forest degradation and forest exploitation is rampant, you know you're saving family farms, you know you're saving rural jobs. A lot of the people that are in this country as immigrants are in this country as immigrants because the rural farming industry is disappearing in Latin America. Mm-hmm. And so people need to go where there's jobs so they can feed their families. So they go to the big cities, and if that doesn't work out, they immigrate to other economic immigration.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, in the coffee zones, you know, you've got this rich tradition of what I call semi skilled rural workers and family farmers that are really stewards of the land. It's a really fulfilling job to get this story out. So, so how do we market it? We market it by telling the story as in as many places as we can afford to tell the story in a sort of an honest and open way. That's really it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I have a copy of the March-April 2011 Audubon, and it's a special right. issue, The Cycle of Food, and indeed there is a bird-friendly logo with the description of your coffee, and it says that back in 2008 – Sales of the bird-friendly coffee reached more than 3.5 million. What are you up to now?
0: Uh, Now I guess well, it's it's doubled between 2011 and 2014, and it must have. So I think total global sales of bird-friendly coffee is probably about maybe one half of one percent of the coffee market. Yeah. So that would be, you know, we're getting up around ten or twelve million dollars of of coffee in a market that's, you know, it's two hundred billion or something like that. Right. So it depends on you. It depends on whether you look at it on premise consumption, in store consumption, green bean sales, or whatever. So really, we're working with other people like the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center and other coffee roasters like Cafe Ibis out in Utah to to get in the Cornell Lab of Ornithology and the American Bird Conservancy and our other conservation partners, if we can get this certification up to 2% of the coffee market, we will be able to hold the land that hasn't been converted to sun coffee in place.
1: Mm -hmm. I was recently visiting one of the Audubon centers or chapters in South Florida. It's a beautiful all of the Audubon work is so terrific. But now that I think of it, and I learned that each of the Audubon chapters operate independently, this was news to me. And I That's, wonder if there could be, you know, does every Audubon Society chapter sell this coffee?
0: No, 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 no. Very few do. We work with about a, probably a dozen now, maybe 15 local Audubon chapters, Mecklenburg Audubon in South in, uh, North Carolina does a great job. The Golden Gate Audubon in uh, San Francisco does a great job, but the others, they're all doing great jobs. I mean, and so we work and it's always, it comes down to one person in the chapter. Right. That understands how important this is. And so far it's always, well, it's almost always a woman. And she says, well, I'm going to get this out in front of our members and get them behind it. And, let's see what happens. And and that that works. So that's one of the ways we're growing the business. It's one of the ways we're marketing is going to each of these individual Audubon chapters and talking to the person that's in charge of the conservation committee or the president of the chapter or anybody else that will, you know, take it on.
1: Right.
0: We have these little coffee clubs, we call them, maternal Audubon chapters. Some are just individuals that, you know, buy coffee for sometimes as many as 60 people. In Each month they place an order and and that's a lot of fun, too. Those and, and those are people that get it. Those are people that understand. Mm-hmm. It goes back to your other question. We're really grassroots marketing. Yeah. And I'm convinced that's the only way we can change the broader food system or anything else in this country. It's got to be grassroots.
1: I agree with you. I think that also holds for the entire political system. It's all about the grassroots. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about how much you must have traveled in your life and myself included, when I travel, I visit different communities. And gosh, I'm lucky if I can find organic and fairly traded coffee, let alone organic, fairly traded, bird-friendly, shade-grown. All of these certifications that I know matter so much. And yet I don't quite know how to lobby for the kind of coffee that I want. So I have heard that if you go into a supermarket you know, you need about 15 asks before the manager will provide whatever you're asking for. And then, of mm-hmm. course, it has to sell. And I'm wondering, you know, mm-hmm. places like Starbucks, which seem to have such a corner on the market, I mean, you can't go anywhere. There's not an airport, I don't think, in the United States that doesn't have a Starbucks coffee. How do we get the big players to recognize how important this is and to serve it every day?
0: We don't. They won't. They can't. They don't know. They can't. It's, it's it's just they can't do it. If we take, I mean, look at the marvelous, extraordinary economic success of Starbucks under Howard Schultz. I mean, this is one of the amazing business success stories of the last quarter century. But if Starbucks decided that they were going to sell nothing but bird-friendly coffee and, and they would take a 10-year period to get to it, they could do it. But it would increase their cost of goods. Significantly. And Starbucks is a business publicly traded, and the directors and the officers of the company have as their obligation under law to maximize the return to shareholders, financial return. So they can't do it. They, they're handcuffed. They cannot do it. Howard Schultz woke up tomorrow and said, oh, You know what? I'm going to make this whole coffee industry bird friendly because it's the greatest thing for the earth that I can do. He couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. His share price would tank, and, he'd, you know, his board his, his would put him under pressure not to do it.
1: Well, I'm a firm believer in consumer action and demand, and I am hoping that by identifying what you're doing, we can help drive at least home consumption of Birds and Beans coffee. And I want to make sure we let everyone know that you've got a wonderful website where you can learn more about Birds and Beans coffee, and it's simply www.birdsandbeans.com. And I know I'm going to try some. You've convinced me how important this is. And we'll try to promote it through our own little bit of education.
0: Well, I think that's what we have to do. And, and you did see, we did, uh, with the help of some advocates, bombard a chain called Wegmans with the bird-friendly idea. And while they didn't take our coffee, they did end up putting into their own coffee line a bird-friendly skew.
1: And the same thing,
0: we're in some Whole Foods stores here in the northeastern part of the United States, in Massachusetts, really. And um, the same thing happened in, in Whole Foods. We got our coffee in, and Cafe Ibis got their coffee in out west. And now Whole Foods, with their own brand, Allegro, does have some bird-friendly coffee, too. So I think that, you know, consumer demand in the stores can help. But the main thing people have to do is buy it. And if they buy it online or they buy it at a local cafe that has – which some do – or if they buy it from us, of course, we'd love that. If they just demand bird-friendly coffee, then things will change slowly. And eventually, the big players will be able to say, well – we have to offer this because the public demands it, and we'll find a way to make the margins work to our shareholder satisfaction.
1: Well, Mr. Wilson, I want to thank you so much for being my guest our time is up. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to thank you for being with me, Mr. Wilson. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. We've been speaking with Mr. Bill Wilson. He is co-founder and president of Birds and Beans Coffee, LLC. We'll provide a link to your website, and I want to thank you so much for doing this work.
0: It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed it very much.